Hello, this is Dr. Pengxian Qian, the Editor-in-Chief of Harvardism. Thank you for listening to this podcast, summarizing the June 2020 issue of the journal. The first paper is by Jason Andrade et al. The title is Prevalence and Clinical Impact of Spontaneous and Adenosine-Induced Pulmonary Vein Reconstruction in the Contact Force versus Cryo-Balloon Atrial Fibrillation Ablation. Circuit dose study. The authors sought to determine the prevalence and clinical impact of spontaneous endadenosine-provoked reconnection using contemporary atrial fibrillation ablation technologies in 346 patients. They found that patients without spontaneous or adenosine-provoked reconnection had better outcomes compared to those with acute PV reconnection. These findings suggest that the efforts should be directed towards ensuring an ideal ablation lesion at the first attempt in order to achieve durable pulmonary vein isolation. The next paper is titled "An ECG Sign of Idiopathic Ventricular Tachycardia Ablatable from the Distal Great Cardiac Vein," written by Lin Yunan et al. The authors identified 32 patients with idiopathic ventricular arrhythmias, or IVAs, originating from the distal great cardiac vein from a consecutive group of 874 patients undergoing IVA ablation. Among them, 13 had distinct ECG characteristics, with notches in the upstroke and downstroke of the R wave in lead three. That sign has a positive predictive value of 92.9% to predict the ventricular arrhythmias arising from the distal great cardiac vein. The notches in the upstroke and downstroke of the R wave in lead three can help differentiate the VT from the adjacent LV endocardium. Coming up next is percutaneous left atrial clo- appendage closure. In patients with prior intracranial bleeding and thromboembolism, written by Juicy Pekka Poru et al. The authors studied 104 patients with atrial fibrillation and prior intracranial bleeding underwent successful LA appendage closure. The authors found that there was 69% relative risk reduction of thromboembolism with respect to predicted risk based on median. CHAS2-DS2 VASC score. The authors conclude that percutaneous LA appendage closure with minimized antithrombotic treatment is a valid treatment option in high-risk patients with prior intracranial bleeding and thromboembolism. Next up is a paper titled "Effect of Acute Myocardial Ischemia on." Infralateral early repolarization by Michael Stoller et al. The authors retrospectively analyzed procedural ECGs of patients with early repolarization undergoing a controlled one-minute coronary occlusion for collateral function testing. ECG leads with early repolarization were analyzed before, which is pre, at 60 seconds of coronary balloon occlusion. And greater than 30 seconds after balloon deflation, 
They found that 77 patients with early reprioritization patterns in the pre-procedural ECG during acute ischemia, J-wave amplitude increased in leads showing an ST-segment elevation and decreased in leads with ST-segment depression. Therefore, J-wave amplitude is augmented in leads facing the ischemic territory. This may explain increased arrhythmic vulnerability in patients of early reprioritization during myocardial ischemia. Young Min Park et al. wrote the next article titled Short Statue is Associated with Instant Sudden Cardiac Deaths in a Large Asian Cohort. This is a retrospective cohort study of 410,000 Koreans from Korean National Health Insurance Services National Sample Cohort. During an 8.45-year follow-up period, short stature was identified as one of the risk factors for sudden cardiac deaths. Each 10-centimeter increase in height was associated with a 14% decreased risk of sudden cardiac deaths. These findings support previously published findings correlating height to sudden cardiac death risk in non-Asian populations. Further studies are needed to understand the underlying mechanisms of this observation. The next paper is titled Clinical and Functional Reappraisal of Alleged Type 5 Long QT Syndrome Causative Genetic Variants in the KCNE1 encoded mean K-beta subunit by Ramin Garmani et al. Retrospective analysis of 1,026 long QT syndrome patients identified six rare KCNE1 variants in 38 over 1,000 patients, about 3.7% of long QT patients. Collectively, the, percent, uh, the phenotype observed, 22 individuals, was relatively weak, with 91% of them asymptomatic. The average QTC was 444 milliseconds. KCNE1, LQTS, or LQT5 likely represents a mild and a potentially more common form of weakly penetrated congenital long QT syndrome that rarely causes potentially lethal ventricular arrhythmias in the absence of additional genetic or acquired risk factors. Coming up next is a paper by Fernando Domicas et al. titled Clinical Characteristics and Determinants of Phenotype in TMEM43 Arrhythmogenic Reventricular Cardiomyopathy Type 5. ARVC Type 5 is the most aggressive heterozygous form of ARVC predominantly caused by a fully penetrant mutation in a non desmosomal gene TMEM43, which is endemic to Newfoundland, Canada. The authors studied a Spanish family with PS358L ARVC5 without the Newfoundland genetic background. They found that ARVC5 is associated with high risk of sudden cardiac death and the characteristic characteristic clinical and ECG features irrespective of geographical origin and the genetic background. In these patients, as in desmosomal ARVC, vigorous physical activity could aggravate the phenotype of TMEM43 mutation carriers. 
Duchateau et al. wrote the next article titled Ventricular Triggered Atrial Pacing, a new maneuver for slow, fast AV nodal range and tachycardia. In this paper, the authors proposed a novel maneuver to study conduction over the AV node and attempt to induce slow, fast AVNRT. This new method is ventricular triggered atrial pacing, or VTAP, with decremental VA delay. They found that the VTAP resulted in a hysteretic conduction curve in 21 of 36 patients in the AVNRT group, but only in 4 of 21 patients in the control. A hysteretic conduction curve demonstrates sustained conduction over a slow pathway and concealed retrograde conduction through the fast pathway, a finding in favor of slow-fast AVNRT with a sensitivity of 58% and a specificity of 81%. The next paper is the presence of ectopic atrial rhythms predicts adverse cardiovascular outcomes in a large hospital-based population by Sun Hao Hong et al. This is a retrospective study. Compare 3,000 hospitalized patients with ectopic atrial rhythms and 15,000 propensity-matched patients with only sinus rhythm. Compared with the matched patients, those with ectopic atrial rhythms had high risk of cardiovascular mortality and permanent pacemaker implantation. These increased risks were associated with the autonomic imbalance measured with heart rate variability parameters. The mechanisms of these associations remain unexplained. Coming up next is a paper by Taylor Cunningham et al. titled Initially Unexplained Cardiac Arrest in Children and Adolescents, a national experience from the Canadian Pediatric Heart Rhythm Network. The authors report a retrospective case series of 46 children presenting with unexplained cardiac arrest. Median age was 13.8 years. The presumed etiology was mainly long QT syndrome or catecholaminergic polymorphic ventricular tachycardia, but no cause was identified in nearly 50% of the patients despite extensive investigations, including cascade genetic screening. Furthermore, 75% of ICD shocks occurred in patients without a diagnosis. Stephanie F. Chandler et al. wrote the next paper titled Adverse Event Rate During Inpatient Sotalol Initiation for the Management of Supraventricular and Ventricular Tachycardia in the Pediatric and Young Adult Population. The authors studied a retrospective cohort of 190 pediatric patients initiated on oral sotalol for SVT or VT. Among them, 110 patients, or 58%, was less than six months old. The median pre-sotalol QTC was 438 milliseconds with a range between 348 and 530 milliseconds. Three patients had bradycardia and the two had a QTC prolongation. All five patients with adverse events had repaired congenital heart disease. The authors conclude that that the instance of adverse events in pediatric patients 
initiating SOTRO for AT, SVT, OVT is low, which is about 3%, with no deaths or malignant rhythms reported in this series. This data provides some support for a selective strategy of outpatient initiation of SOTRO. The next article is by Jeremy Moore et al. titled Permanent Conduction System Pacing for Congenitally Corrected Transposition of the Great Arteries. His bundle pacing or left bundle branch pacing was attempted for 15 patients with congenitally corrected transposition of great arteries. The acute success rate was 86% without complications. The QR's duration was unchanged as compared to junctional escape rhythm and decreased significantly compared to baseline ventricular pacing. At a median of 8 months, all patients were alive without significant change in patient threshold or lead dysfunction. NY Heart Association class improved in 5 patients. These findings indicate that permanent conduction system pacing is feasible results in narrowing paced QRs and stable lead thresholds and intermediate follow-up. Unique anatomical characteristics may favor this approach over conventional CRT in patients with congenitally corrected transposition of the great arteries. Coming up next is code-inducible RNA binding protein modulates atrial fibrillation onset by, triggering, by target, targeting multiple ion channels by Duangyang Xie et al. The code-inducible RNA binding protein, or CR, CIRP, CERP, plays a critical role in controlling the cellular response upon confronting a variety of cellular stresses, including hypothermia. The authors performed the EP study in CERP knockout rats, showing shortened atrial ERP and increased susceptibility of to atrial fibrillation. Those phenotypes were rescued by atrial-specific SERP delivery through an adeno-associated viral vector. They also showed that SERP suppressed KV1.5 and KV4.2 or 4.3 expression by directly targeting their three prime untranslated regions. The authors conclude that SERP plays a protective role in preventing AF onset through the post-transcriptional regulation of KV1.5 and KV4.2-4.3. Therefore, SERP may be an anti-arrhythmic target for atrial arrhythmias. Mikhail A. Holm et al. wrote the next article titled Algorithm for the analysis of pre-extraction computed tomography images to evaluate implanted lead-lead interactions and lead vascular attachments. The authors created an algorithm that analyzes pre-extraction CT images to determine the likelihood and location of the lead-lead inter interactions and lead vessel attachment within patients' venous vasculatures. Preliminary results indicate that the developed algorithm successfully identified lead-lead and lead-vascular attachments as compared to review of CT images by medical experts. With future validation and clinical implementation, this algorithm could aid 
physician prep,、uh, preparedness by minimizing intra-procedural emergencies and may also improve patient outcomes. The next paper by Daniel Clements et al. titled "Phenotype Guided Whole Genome Analysis in a Patient with Genetically Elusive Long QT Syndrome" yields a novel tRDN-encoded triadine pathogenetic substrate for triadine knockout syndrome, and reveals a novel primate-specific cardiac tRDN transcript. Triadine knockout syndrome is a rare arrhythmia syndrome caused by recessive new mutations of tRDN-encoded cardiac triadine one, or CT one. Triadine knockout syndrome has presented frequently with cardiac arrest in childhood. The authors elucidated the underlying genetic mechanism of disease in a genetically elusive patient. Displaying characteristic triadine knockout syndrome phenotype, they found evidence for a novel alternative exon 6A containing tRDN transcript in normal heart. The novel deep intron、uh, intronic tRDN variant identified in a triadine knockout syndrome patient leads to splicing error of a newly recognized exon 6A and loss of triadine. Considering that both tRDN variants in this patient were missed following commercial testing, these results highlight the importance of utilizing genome sequencing when identifying patients with triadine knockout syndrome. Next up is mechanism atrial fibrillation in aged rats with heart failure with preserved ejection fraction by Ribeiro. Mesquita at all, heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, or HEPPF, which is associated with atrial fibrillation, is more common in aged females than in, than in males. The authors found that aged rats developed left ventricular hypertrophy, left atrial enlargement, diastolic dysfunction, and pulmonary congestion without ejection fraction impairment, thus meeting the criteria of Half path, sinoatrial and atrial ventricular node dysfunction was associated with a higher inducibility of AF in aged rats. Atrial inflammatory signaling was enhanced in aged rats, which may also contribute to fibrotic remodeling of a high AF susceptibility. Together. These data demonstrate that age-related atrial remodeling and HEPPF are associated with atrial enlargement, fibrosis, conduction abnormalities, and nodal dysfunction, favoring a substrate conducive to AF. Aged rats may be a useful model to study HEPPF and atrial fibrillation. The above original research articles were followed by two contemporary reviews. One on the outcomes following implantable cardioverter defibrillator generator replacement in adults, and the other on the role of long non-coding RNAs in atrial fibrillation. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. For Heart Rhythm, I'm Editor in Chief, Dr. Pengxian Chen.